Grace to you and peace from God our Heavenly Father and his anointed Son, our Savior, made manifest in all his works as truly the Son of God, our Savior. Today for our sermon, we'll turn again to Paul's letter to Titus. And um, we'll begin our reading actually a, a verse earlier than what's printed in your bulletin. And we'll go a verse farther in the text. Paul says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. So far, our sermon text. Let us pray. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Fellow redeemed in Christ, and especially those who are joining us from far away from the desert here, we live in a place where there are many casinos. And I saw an advertisement for one of the local casinos not too long ago, and um, they're holding a drawing for a new luxury car. I think it was a Cadillac or something like that. And the pitch in that commercial goes like this. Nothing says, I love you, more than a new car. (laughs) What have we come to as a society when a line like that actually works in a commercial? I mean, think about it. I suppose under some pretty rare circumstances, someone might choose to express love that way, but there are a lot more meaningful and surely a lot less expensive ways to do that. And I'm sure you can think of many. So can God. He is, after all, the giver of every good thing. The Apostle Paul tells us three ways that God reveals his kindness and love to us, and each is more true and meaningful than any earthly gift. God reveals his kindness and love by the appearance of his Son and in the sacrament of holy baptism and with the hope of eternal life. On the 6th of January every year, we begin a new season of the church year. And the church year is just a long-standing tradition among Christian churches that helps us sort of organize the year so that we remember all the main themes that are in the scriptures and don't leave any of them out. 
Epiphany is a, uh, a word that comes to us directly from the Greek language. In the Greek language, the word epiphino means to reveal something or to show something that wasn't known before or was somehow hidden from sight. And uh, as an example of that, when we heard the story of Jesus' baptism this morning, we saw how God the Father's words and the Holy Spirit's descent in the form of a dove revealed Jesus as the Savior. Paul uses that very word, epiphino, in our text, where it's translated for us as the word appear in, in our language. He says, when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, there it is, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Jesus' appearance in this world, whether we think of his Christmas birth or his, his uh, baptism at the River Jordan by John, his appearance is an act of God's kindness. God sent him. The scriptures say God sent him who knew no sin to become sin for us, to save us, to save us from, from hell. And Jesus' appearance was also an act of God's love. It reveals his affection for mankind. And he treats us as his own dear children because of Jesus. In the verse before this one, Paul said, At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Remember, this is the Bible. This is how God sees what we were, how he describes our condition. We were nowhere near perfect, not even close. And that's what's required. That's what God would have us be, perfect. But we've fallen so short of the glory of God. We've fallen so short of keeping God's commands in our thoughts, in our words, and in our deeds. Let's take a moment and reflect on your concept of love and how, how that's applied to other people. Think of how you see them through selfish eyes. But contrast our condition with Jesus, with his loving kindness, with his love, completely unselfish love, sacrificial love. See what God did about our condition. It says he saved us. He saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. God is just. He won't brook any sin, but he's also merciful. And when he saw his children helpless and scattered and hellbound, with no breaks and no way to turn around, he had mercy on us. Jesus came into this world the way he did to save us. What a gift. But what good would it have been if you received that greatest Christmas present of all time, but couldn't open it. That would hardly be a present. 
Jesus is our Christmas gift. And this epiphany season, we get to tear off the wrapping paper, so to speak, and see what's going on there. In our gospel lesson, we heard the Father declare Jesus to be his one and only Son. And so we know that he is the perfect substitute <coughs> sent for us by God's mercy. And as we make our way through the season, this epiphany season toward Lent, we'll see Jesus' anguish in our place. We'll see our debt of sins paid for in full. We'll see our forgiveness won and given. And Easter will bring us the full assurance and clarity of Jesus' empty tomb that we shall not die but live because God has forgiven us for Jesus' sake. Paul talks about God's kindness and love shown when Jesus appeared in this world. And, and, and certainly Jesus' appearance at his baptism is a part of that. But then Paul shows us the blessings we have through our own baptisms. It says, God saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Baptism is a watershed moment, if you will, a watershed event in our lives where God richly poured out his blessings upon us. And Paul connects that washing of rebirth with renewal by the Holy Spirit. And that's because God himself has ordained such. God has said, I will connect myself to those waters. I will send my Holy Spirit through that water and word. And he has connected himself to us in kindness and love. The kindness and love shown to us by Jesus' life and death. And the Holy Spirit who is at work in Jesus' baptism is also at work in our baptism, but in a different way. At our baptism, the Holy Spirit worked inside of us and he gave us faith to believe, to trust God. He put it into our hearts and now he strengthens that faith so that we may wholeheartedly live for him who gave himself for us all. Baptism isn't some sign of obedience to God's promise. It's not an initiation rite or a promise to be good. Listen to what Paul says. Your baptism was and is a singular act of God in your life that has ongoing daily significance. Think of what it says. Baptism does now also save you through the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Think of it this way. A wedding ring is a special gift from one's spouse, a one-time gift that signifies the ongoing promise of love and faithfulness. Baptism is so much better, but it's like that ring. Our baptism is a special one-time gift from God through which he communicates to us and delivers to us the promise that Jesus washed away our sins in his blood. 
that we are adopted into his family and bear his name, and that he will stand by us all through life, every day. That's why we begin the service every time, practically, with those words in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's from your baptism. In many churches, there's another tradition. They usually have a a candle by the baptismal font. It's called the Paschal candle, and it's lit for baptisms and for Easter. It's a symbol of the light of God breaking forth from the tomb. That's its picture and connection with Easter. But it's put next to the baptismal font because there's that unseen thing happening when someone is baptized. Just as Jesus rose from the dead, we who are connected to him in his baptism and in ours will rise again. Now that candle might be a tradition, and different churches have different traditions, but the message that's supposed to go with it is the real and comforting spiritual truth about baptism. Having been justified by God's grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. At your baptism, God declared you not guilty in his eyes by reason of what Jesus did for you. At your baptism, he gave you the keys to heaven so that your life does not end in the tomb. We're looking forward to the inheritance that we receive, not when someone else dies, but when we die. That's the moment we receive the vast inheritance of heaven and eternal life. This is our hope. But we don't mean the same thing as the world means when it says the word hope. We're not talking about some pie-in-the-sky dream. It's not an uncertain thing. It's not fingers crossed. You have certainty. You have certainty because of what Jesus did, because of what the Father himself has declared because the Spirit of God rests upon you and you hear him speaking through his word all the time. What greater certainty could we have? What greater certainty and what greater kindness and what greater love could we have than having been washed clean from our sins? That washing from sin that God gave each one of us in holy baptism. What greater certainty and greater kindness and greater love could we have had than the rock-solid promises of God which point us forward to heaven? What could be better than that? When I was going through a particularly busy and stressful time a couple years ago, my wife wrote me a little encouraging card. And that card is worthless to anyone else, but to me it means something very special. Likewise, the words of God and the waters of baptism might not seem like much to those who don't know what's going on there, who haven't heard what God has said about it, but to you, to you Christians, you hear his kindness, you hear his love, you've been washed with it, and because of that, remember that he desires to extend his kingdom and his kindness, and his love to all the sons and daughters of Adam, not just us. Don't tell people about all the earthly things we have here at our Savior, and we are very blessed here. 
Instead, be joyful witnesses of the real kindness and real love of Christ, our Savior. Tell them. Share with them the reason for the hope that you have. Point them to the blessings of baptism and invite them so that they might know the wondrous love and kindness of our God, so that they might know Christ Jesus, our Savior. To him alone be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Please rise. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all our understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto everlasting life. Amen.